0: So I'm leaving a really nice home as a practicing doctor with his own business, with a beautiful wife and three healthy children, something that most people would be excited for. I'm going into a a fairly nice office where I own it, It's a team of people working with me, doing meaningful work, being a physician for patients who are respectful to me. I'm really working hard. I'm earning a good living again. I'm coming home to a beautiful family, and yet I'm not enjoying any of it.
1: What's up? What's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, showing you and proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. And today we're talking on the fitness part again. So this is Health Week. And today we're specifically talking about your health. And what if self-control is not the reason that so many people are unhealthy? Well, we're going to dig into that and a lot more during this conversation. And while you may not be unhealthy, you may be healthier than you've ever been, but I'm absolutely positive that you know other people who are unhealthy and you would love to see them get the help that they need. So at the very least, I invite you to pay it forward and share Men of Abundance and share this episode with somebody who you know who needs to get control of their health. And I assure you they can especially after this conversation. So today's guest is a family physician, Dr. Gus Vickery. He's the founder and CEO of Vickery Family Medicine, which is a full-service primary care practice in Asheville, North Carolina, that has received multiple awards for service, quality, and innovation. With extensive experience in the medical field and a passion for healing people, Gus has made it his mission to radically change the way we view health. Today, Gus will share a few key points from his book, Authentic Health, to empower you to embrace new patterns for living and reclaim the good health that's within you. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Gus Vickery. Gus, welcome to Men of Abundance, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your show.
1: That's yeah, a pleasure. Where are you at in the world?
0: I live in Asheville, North Carolina.
1: North Carolina. I spent some time down there and fort bragg vietnam as we <laughs> call it, <laughs> it is.
0: it's definitely a barren area over on my side the lush mountains it's green and wet yeah and yeah a whole bit different
1: yeah we liked that uh, we did get a chance to travel around north carolina a little bit while we were there and get out of uh, fayetteville excellent so i like to start out with an attitude of gratitude man what do you have to be grateful for today
0: well, there's so much, and I'm sure we, we all could reflect on the many things we're grateful for, but specifically today, what I'm waking up with, I've been working really hard on the the construct of when you wake up uh, and you start your day and probably like many folks who've worked hard in their lives, you can wake up with a bit of a jolt, a sense of, okay, what's waiting on me? What do I need to do? And I really got tired of waking up into a, a state of uh, such as that sort. So I've been working on this ability to wake up and recognize that everything before you this day is a, is a product of your choice. It's, your, it's exactly what you've chosen to do. Uh, whether it's a hard work day or it's a day with your kids in the outdoors. And so what I'm grateful for is that practice is paying off. And when I'm waking up in the morning, I'm finding the first thing I experience is a sense of peace and a sense of this day is a day that I've chosen it to be exactly what I wanted to be for me. And it's kind of nice to take control of your own thoughts and responses to whatever's waiting for you.
1: And you are spot on. And that is why I love Interview Valet so much because they really know my show and they get me guests that I absolutely can connect with because that's what this abundance journey is all about, man. It's, it's about mindset and you you do have control over your thoughts. So many people, you know, there's so much going on in the world and you got all the social media and the news and everything. And all of those things absolutely can and do control our thoughts. And Mm -hmm. some people just live in that, in that, misery you know all day long and all they got to do is start out the day right and you know remind yourself throughout the day so that's right know?
0: yeah we're we're exactly where we chose to be and when we yeah. take ownership of that that gives us the opportunity if we don't like it to make a new choice
1: Exactly, you can make a different choice, and and guys, you see, hear me say this all the time. It's the same thing with your, with your vocation, with your location. You know, you're not a tree; you can move. <laughs> I know it's not easy. If it was easy, you know, everybody would be living in a nirvana. But you know, sometimes you just got to take that, uh, that step and that hard step. And we're going to get more into your story here in just a minute. But you know, I spoke a little bit about you professionally, what you're doing. You know, as I read your bio earlier, but. as you know, here on Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself?
0: So yeah, professionally, I'm a family physician. That's not my primary identity. Uh, As a person, I'm I'm a deeply spiritual person, have been for a big chunk of my life. Uh, And and it's a personal faith that really does inform my decisions, my thoughts, my reflections. Uh, My work forces me to be an extrovert. I'm constantly working with people, getting to know people, having to be in front of groups and teaching and speaking. But I'm actually a true introvert. And as soon as I have some time to get away from that, I will disappear uh, into the woods with my dog to just try and be in quiet places. I really need periods of solitude and times of reflection. But because I have three children and a beautiful wife and they're all at stages where the my attention needs to be there as well. I, you know, I have to be involved with that. But ultimately Outside of my professional life, I'm actually a fairly just regular, normal person who likes to walk around in his t-shirts and shorts, listen to books and podcasts, hang out with his kids and wife, and be outside as much as possible, and as mu- and give my brain as much space as possible for deep reflection, deep contemplation.
1: So, two things that I want to touch on, though, that you mentioned was one introvert. What does that mean to you as being an introvert? Because I've always considered myself more of an extrovert, but I found that I do get worn out after a while. I I just, I got to get away from the people and just, and I do my morning time. Everybody knows I get up early so I can just sit and, and have my self-reflection.
0: Yeah, the it took me a while to figure it out because historically, I was somebody who as soon as I had time, I would disappear out into nature a lot. I could go Mm. on solo backpacking trips for a week and be quite happy just being in my own head and being out there. And this was before the days of smartphones and things like that. So literally just quietude always loved books and to disappear into books. Um, and often socially felt a little funny, uh, but then was also a social person as I matured. And then you go to medical school and you get into residency and then you run a clinic like I do outpatient care where you're engaging with so many people all the time. And then now I'm involved in teaching and speaking and writing a book. You, you begin to people to begin to think you're an extrovert. Because you're constantly interfacing with people and using communication skills, personality skills, things that you cultivate so you can relate to people. Because if I can't relate to my patients, it's very unlikely they're going to follow through on what I'm hoping for them to do. And you start to think, well, maybe I'm actually an extrovert and others think you are. But it was exactly what you described a second ago. There's an exhaustion point. And you know, extroverts, as we know, tend to get energy from social engagement. Introverts are quite capable of learning the skills, but we have to have periods of quiet reflection to restore our energy so we can re-engage. On the other hand, because introverts because not they're not neither stronger, they're both necessary to this world and they have their strengths, but because introverts are often in their own heads and deeply reflective, that's where a lot of the power or the strength of our presentations and our teaching comes from is those periods of deep contemplation where we creatively synthesize information we're studying and put it together and then present it to groups of people who it may be of interest to in a way that perhaps is more impactful. Uh, because the way we like to disappear into ourselves. I think a great book that could help your audience with this is called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in an Extroverted World, and it's by Dr. Suzanne Kane. And it was so helpful for me to listen to her description of both and embracing the introvert qualities and also recognizing, because as we get into a discussion of when I kind of hit my low moments, there were always all times where I dishonored my need my fundamental need for rest and recovery as an introvert so that is a great book that helps people work through that
1: wow thanks for that recommendation that's awesome yeah and i've found over the years especially well this has been quite a while actually for me like when i'm having a lot of folks over and all of a sudden i just feel tired now i i get chronic fatigue just because of my you know i got some other stuff going on but when i feel tired i don't fight it (laughs) <laughs> I'll literally disappear and go take a 15-minute cat nap and come back completely re-energized. But that's not necessarily because of a, you know, um, a character of an introvert. It's just I just when I'm tired, I just go crash out, and but 15 minutes can really make a big difference for me. And I know yeah. one of the things that you specialize in is getting, you know, enough sleep and proper sleep. So I'm sure you can expand on that a little bit
0: yeah and actually it is so important it's one of the major principles undergirding my teaching because we clearly are sleep deprived but you just made a great point Um, you I, i always will say honor your circadian rhythm it's fundamental to our genetics it's fundamental to the vast majority of homo sapien history human history you can't dishonor it and get away with it but to beyond that when your brain sends you the signal that it needs a little recharge that is getting tired that the little mitochondria and your neurons need a little rest, a chance to clean up and reset that it's going to show up as mental fatigue, mental fatigue or emotional fatigue, grumpy, irritable, just can't quite find your positive mindset. And in that situation, just honor it. Don't try to throw caffeine into it. Don't try to throw some power drink into it and hope that you can just force your brain through its own recharge moment, take 15 minutes. People think that they can't, that that won't give you brain rest, but studies are clearly proving that within 15 to 20 minutes, you can briefly dip into an alpha or theta wave state. And during that period, your brain will actually do a little recharge, a little reboot, and then you come out of it, like you said, and you're you're good to go. And that's all you have to do. Find a quiet space and close your eyes. Don't worry if your brain keeps bouncing around for a bit, take 15 or 20 minutes and then boom, pull yourself out. It's amazing how much more energy you can get from that.
1: Yeah. One of the things I literally did this for a long time and nobody knew it. I think nobody knew it. When I did work uh, for the man, I would literally go out to the parking lot, turn on the AC in my truck or, you know, heat or whatever the case may be. I was in Hawaii most of the time and um, take a 10, 15 minute nap in my truck and come back. (laughs) I'm telling you, it just makes a huge difference in my production.
0: Yeah, I'm giving a a talk uh, next week at our local chamber of commerce and it's about wellness in the workplace and you'd expect the usual stuff, keep a fruit ball, blah, blah, blah. That's not what my focus is on at all. In my consulting work, I do with companies for their employee health. I have emphasized that if they will give their employees brief periods of rest and recovery. And it could be five minutes an hour, it could be 20 minutes every few hours, and actually encourage the employees insist that those employees do one of a couple of things find a quiet space, close their eyes, breathe, meditate, relax, or go take a walk in the sunshine, drink a little water and stretch and do some breathing and do some reflection, they'll get far more yield out of those employees. And the mm-hmm. studies have proven that the employee will be more engaged, more focused when they return to work, they'll be more productive when they return to work too. they'll feel better emotionally, physically, and also at the end of their day, and they'll be healthier and cost the company health plan a lot less money. Mm. So we shouldn't have to sneak away to do that. That should just be part of what we do. Um, you know, I get that some people, perhaps they're not high performers yet and they have to be watched and monitored. And every time you give them a free moment to slack off, they could. But I don't think most humans are oriented that way. I think mm. most of us, as we mature, you give us the freedom to to work at our highest potential and then give us the space to, to cultivate what we need to have the energy to do it. We'll do that for you.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Have you ever heard of these, um, these pods that some yeah. corporations are renting or whatever. Yep. It looks pretty neat. It, yep. It's a, it's a pretty neat concept where guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. These these pods that you can sit in. You can plug your Bluetooth into it or whatever and play some quiet music or whatever. And it's completely dark in there. And some places are, are renting them because they're not really for sale as far as I could tell. Uh, the company is renting them out. And letting corporations use them for exactly what we're talking about, getting that rest and relaxation.
0: Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And yeah, I, I can't even quite afford those for my company. Oh my yet. goodness, that's so expensive. But I can yeah. encourage my and I would say that it's great. Those kinds of that technology is fun. I love biohacking and I love all mm-hmm. the technology and what it teaches us about our body. But at the end of the day, I'm about the simple things. So a, a version another version of a pod would just simply be go outdoors, get some sunshine, drink some mm-hmm. clean water, do some breathing and look at nature for 20 minutes. And that'll
1: probably all take that care. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because another big uh, factor of fatigue is just dehydration, yep. uh, sitting there drinking coffee or soda all day. And then, you know, you're just completely dehydrated by the end of the day. And that's really what makes a lot of people so mm-hmm. groggy. So, you know, as we go through, you know, you went through med school and I was in the medical field for m- many years and saw these interns throughout in the hospital, living in the hospital. Um, so I know it's a stressful environment, but, uh, along the The course of our life, anybody who's doing anything uh, has a few kick in the gut moments that they have to push through. Uh, Sometimes these kick in the gut moments, unfortunately, some people don't push through them. uh, And they just kind of give up in various ways. So if you would share with us a kick in the gut moment with us and really make us feel that then we're going to get into what you learned from that and how that if it all changed the trajectory of your life and your decisions.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, and I, I really enjoy sharing these stories because, as I as I share them, I, I it it deepens my own understanding and wisdom and what I learned from it. And I've had a number of kick in the gut moments. I think we probably all have. And healthcare is one of the most dysfunctional industries. To try mm-hmm. and and run a business within because of the third party payer system and all the various issues which I won't go into. So if you're if you're trying to stay independent, own your own business in healthcare and deliver primary care services and continually innovate and find ways to be more effective for your patients and disruptive to the system that is, you're going to keep having kick in the gut moments. Uh, and so they do keep happening. But the foundational one, the one I think that really transformed and, and set me off on this journey of studying the mind and the emotions and actually ultimately re changing my entire approach to health for myself and my patients was back in 2009. Uh, right after the big great the great recession and I had graduated medical school we had three babies in three years and I started a business and life was crazy like it is for young professionals and for five years I had been running hard but we had built a successful business we moved it into a nicer facility I had myself and a colleague now and it was a business I started with two staff in a small building with a banner tacked to the wall Uh, with folding tables and I never thought I always wonder why patients ever came back since I had no experience (laughs) it was in that but nonetheless we put a lot of heart into it and we grew and five years then I was like hey we've got this good business I'm hitting my stride my wife and I moved into a nicer home some of the investments we made were paying off and I moved into a nicer building and honestly I was in my At that point in 2009, 10 years ago, I was probably approaching 40, very comfortable and self-satisfied and felt good about what I accomplished. And then that great recession hit. And when it did, it it sucked, it knocked the bottom out of so many things for so many people. And in my business, people think, oh, you're a doctor, you're primary care, people need your services. That's true. But if they don't have it, the money for a copay, they're still not coming. And a lot of our, most of our business is not acute care. So if you've got an abscess on your neck, you're going to come see me, you got to get that drained, and we'll take care of that. But if you're just coming in for diabetes and other issues like that, and you don't have any money, you're not coming in for care. And I found myself with a new home, three babies, uh, and a, a new building to pay for. And we were just flat out out of money. Uh, and we were hitting the wall financially, and I had not had that happen before. And my wife was frustrated because she had expressed concerns about moving into this new home and this new building at the same time and questioning my decisions. We have a great marriage and and a great partnership, and that's just the kind of conflict you work through periodically in a great marriage. Mm -hmm. But... Nonetheless, she was, and understandably so, because I had been lackadaisical. I had not understood the responsibility level that I had actually signed up for. I thought I knew it, but I was still, I think, very immature from a professional standpoint, and I found myself scrambling to keep the business afloat, hustling like I had never hustled. And I, I worked a job through med school. I've hustled, but this was a hustle unlike I've known. Get to work early, stay late, say yes to every potential request, write letters to businesses to tell them about our practice, try to form alliances with businesses to prove why our small independent practice should be where they should go. And this strategy did pay off. It worked. And I also worked with an independent consultant to help me better understand coding and charges and et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, I'm getting up very early, trying to say briefly bye to my kids, who probably woke us up at some point during the night. I'm getting to work to my office by seven, often coming home by around eight o'clock, not having stopped to eat, drink water, or even go to the bathroom. But after a number of months of that, we started to see the capital flowing back in and begin to recover. And the part of the low moment in that, but that wasn't the ultimate low moment, actually. The low moment came later, but part of that low moment was a lack of respecting the responsibilities you signed up to manage, a business, a family, and not taking things for granted that the economy will just always get better, that investments will grow, that people will buy your services uh, and that just assuming that you can just kind of be lackadaisical about that. So that was a lot of growing up internally and truly learning what it means to be responsible and to hustle. Now, the result of that was that I learned it and I showed up and I did do it. And I am proud of that uh, in, in certain ways. But then I carried forward that attitude of panic. So six months later, we're doing fine. We've paid off the debt. We're, you know, recovering. The business is growing. We're making our adjustments. And yet every day I'm still treating my body and my mind as though that's the circumstance we're living in. I'm constantly looking at our schedules. I'm looking at every, you know, watching the total volume of visits coming and going. I'm sitting around, wringing my fingers. And what I began to detect about my state of being, which was new for me, was this feeling of unease that was continual. So I'm leaving a really nice home as a practicing doctor with his own business, with a beautiful wife and three healthy children, something that most people would be excited for. I'm going into a a fairly nice office where I own it. It's a team of people working with me doing meaningful work, being a physician for patients who are respectful to me. I'm really working hard. I'm earning a good living again. I'm coming home to a beautiful family, and yet I'm not enjoying any of it. Mm -hmm. I'm just exhausted and nervous and constantly waiting for the other uh, shoe to, uh, you know, to fall off. And there was a moment, and I share it in the book, where I was laying there on the couch, exhausted, and my wife (laughs) was watching Eat, Pray, Love. I had no interest (laughs) in it. But I'm watching this movie with her because I'm too tired to get up and get to my bed. I'm literally too tired to make it to the bed. And all of a sudden, there's Julia Roberts meditating, you know, eating food. And it was like it it took me back to the simplicity of life that i used to have before all of this responsibility and how easy it was just to to focus on the fundamentals like eating and celebrating sustenance praying being at peace love being surrounded by love and, and respecting the love you have and i was like where did that all go where did i lose sight of all that and i realized where my where my enemy was it was fear it was fear of loss. It was fear that things could be taken from me. And then I did a, an analysis of the, the situation. Mindset. I was like, "Yeah, I've not I've not lost anything. I'm still a mm-hmm. doctor. And even if I lost my business, I would have still been a doctor. We could move somewhere. There were, I mean, there were thousands of jobs paying multiples of six figures for doctors like me all over the country. I could have moved to Hawaii. All that would have happened is I would have had to, you know, lick my wounds from having to close a business I started and move on. I had three healthy children, a beautiful, and I did this inventory, and I'm like how the hell did I become so afraid when I've Mm -hmm. got a life that most people would say I want? And that's where, that's where I really hit the bottom because you can't just talk yourself out of it. And it was like, and I'm like, I'm tired of this. This is exhausting me. This is no way to live my life. I've put myself in a prison and it's not even me. This isn't the me that I knew before all this started. So I took on a two-year journey of deeply studying fear, the mind, trained habits, emotions, thoughts. And that's where I begin to learn about our ability to begin to become the master of our own mind. But that was a low journey because talk about the hardest thing you can ever do. Hustling and getting a medical business back up after an economic recession is a challenge. But that's not hard in the end. That's just showing up, getting your own internal house in order. In becoming the master of your own mind, your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions, sitting still and trying to redirect and trying to retrain, that to me is a harder journey than anything else. And that was when that was kind of when I hit my low. But obviously here I am and really have learned a lot from that. And I've gone through the next level of kicking the guts with the things we've tried to do in healthcare and have never been affected the same way because of that low moment where I was so exhausted by fear.
1: Yeah. And that's what the abundance mindset does in part is it also it simultaneously teaches you to be more resilient in the next kick in the gut. Uh, and you, you're able to get through it that much easier. I was kind of reflecting back because when you're talking about your practice and how it is being in army medicine, as long as I was, when I was in Germany, I uh, one of the uh, providers I worked for, she was an endocrinologist, actually. And she had her own practice. She actually got her, you know, went through, came in the military, did the whole doctor thing and all that stuff in the military. And then she got out and she her and her husband went and they built their own practice. They lived on the beach. They had the boat. They had all that great stuff. Same thing. They said that we just we just got tired of it. It's not that they couldn't do it. It's just that all the stuff, all the stuff you talked about, you know, that you didn't really get that much into because it's a lot of, you know, malpractice lawsuits, mm-hmm. just in tr- everything going on. They said, that's enough of this junk. I just want to practice medicine. So they came back in the military or she did. He was, you know, this old hippie type dude, really totally <laughs> laid back, you know, just great people and uh, just so laid back. And they were, they were so much more relaxed just to do their, you know, do what she does for the military and for soldiers and stuff. So I totally get that, man. But what specifically were there some books that you read as well that, that kind of got you through all that?
0: Yeah, there, there actually were a lot of really good books and that's when I began to explore that area. Um, you know, some of them were a little more, uh, academic. Uh, there's a book called the mind and the brain. It's written by a neuropsychiatrist, Dr. Schwartz at UCLA. That was theories of neuroplasticity and how you can begin to use mindfulness practices to retrain the brain and understand. And he gets into a lot of the science and studies, but it, you know, it just kind of began to, because we were taught in medical school and the, still the working model, uh, even at that time was that the brain wasn't plastic and then that it was basically, you know, done by the age of 20 to 25 and damage was damaged mentioned, there wasn't much more you could do. I had already begun to discover, you know, some of the ideas about habits at that point in time, but it really was beginning to study how amazing the brain is and how much it can evolve and grow, uh, that was very important to me. My own spiritual journey, I, I, I did a lot of study uh, in books that are fundamental to my personal faith that, that really do actually speak to fear more than any other emotion. So concepts like perfect love casts out fear, you know, being free from guilt, shame, any of those mm-hmm. kinds of things, forgiving yourself, forgiving others, and deeply studying those concepts. But reading it wasn't enough, obviously. I had read it before internalizing it, to really sit and contemplate what it means like for perfect love to cast out fear and to give you a complete freedom from fear. And then to look around and see all the ways that all of us have that perfect love available to us. It may not always feel that way because life is hard and it is full of suffering and there'll be more, you know, I can anticipate that in the future there will be uh, suffering in my life because I'm connected to so many people and so many wonderful things. And so things will happen, but suffering doesn't equal fear. Suffering is something we go through that can actually create more abundance, as you know, but... You know, and so it was really those kinds of reflections. There were some great books on meditation that I read, I, I really got into the works of Pema, Pema Chodron, who writes a lot of Zen, Buddhistic type of work, and, and following some of her meditations that where you you learn how to observe your thoughts and guide yourself towards the higher emotions of gratitude and compassion, etc. And I could give you a long list. I'll stop there, but you get the idea of yeah. where I kind of went to for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, one of the things that you brought up there is exactly what I've been studying over the last couple of years uh, really through Tony Robbins because he introduces a lot of the books that you just mentioned that he's read through. He's talked to these people, he interviews them. And I love watching those type of interviews and, and those conversations because there was a thought process growing up that, you know, you mentioned it by 20, you know, there was a thought process that by 20, your brain's where it's going to be and that's it. And some say, you know, your formative years, like up until you're like eight years old, that's basically who you're going to be and so on and so forth. But we now know without a benefit of a doubt that or some of us know, others just haven't figured it out yet, that you can change the, change your brain. Basically, you went through that whole process of running your practice the way it was in in scarcity and in in um what's the word I'm looking for distress basically. Mm -hmm. And even after you recovered, you continued running that, but you had to make that switch in your brain. You had to make the difference. Just like you're saying, you you changed the state of your being in doing the same thing because you were in that state for so long, it just continued on. And you just realized this has got to stop. You made the change. It wasn't overnight, but You made the change. And that's what that's that's the point that I try to make with people is the state you're in today. You can change that state in the moment and you can change the trajectory of your future because you don't have to continue living that way and because it's your thought process. Right
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know when you think about human potential because that's what I love to study, um, the the potential within our mind, so yes, we age, I age. I'm going on fifty now. My body is not as the same as it was when, you know I was younger, but I feel healthier and more vibrant than I felt at forty and that I felt at thirty. I study the journey of the mind, and I, although, We know certain aspects of the mind like brain drive neurotrophic factor and other things yeah they can decline with age but then there's things there are actions we can take to do something about it and what i see is how even as we bodily perhaps aren't quite as strong as we used to be, not quite as fast, not, I believe that our minds are designed in such a way that we become wiser and more expansive. And that uh, from an ancestral standpoint, I think those that lived to be 90 or hundred within their communities, because they didn't die early death from other causes, were incredibly valuable to those communities because of the generational knowledge and wisdom they had and how they could, and they probably were revered by their tribes, because they understood seasons and patterns of agriculture and patterns of nature. And, and they didn't have an internet and servers to go to for that. And I think that probably the experience of life, I mean, the, our actual experience of life takes place in our mind more than our body, obviously. And even what happens in the body is felt in the mind. And I, I've got this great hope, and I, and I know it's true, that as I age and as I physically possibly have attrition, which we will, that I will actually be having an increasingly greater experience of life because of the power of our mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. 100% agree with that. Now, there's no doubt that Western medicine is amazing, miraculous at times, quite frankly. But I'm so energized when I have an opportunity to talk to a provider like yourself, who has really taken gone through the experiences and then taken that medicine to the next level because of what you've learned within yourself. So my next question is, how are you paying it forward? How specifically are you paying it forward with your patients? Um, Because I know that that's trickling, your mindset is trickling into that, into your profession as well
0: yeah thank you there are a number of ways one is we from on the practice side just on the delivery of medicine but this is the lowest level of it we've just never given up we've not sold out to a hospital or a corporation although there have been plenty of offers we have kept our own ownership of our own business and we've grown the business and we have three different clinics doing three different things that are all disturbing the mold of traditional healthcare delivery, although we also, in our primary clinic, continue to see insured patient, Medicare, Medicare, all of it, because our patients are stuck with that system, and they need us to work with those payers, because many of them, that's all the healthcare dollars they had. So by innovating ways of delivery, building separate corporations to provide what we call direct care services to our customers, incorporating holistic lifestyle training into the flow of our regular care, opening up a -a seven-day-a-week urgent care facility for our patients and combination with a pharmacy that's independently owned and offers people a transparent experience about pharmacy. Working directly with companies to help them build direct Uh, on-site and plans that can change the health and all of those ways I feel like we're paying it forward and that's just the that's just the natural evolution of innovating and trying to be relevant as a business on a deeper level the book that I published Authentic Health was a reflection of my service to my patients because I certainly didn't write a book to make money I wrote it during another period of intensive hustle uh, which I had been kicked in the gut again but emotionally was in a much better place because I understood that balance and I had to write it on Friday afternoons while I was working working six to six and a half clinics a week, opening up our urgent care, still managing our flow. And I was often going, why am I writing this book? But I knew why I was writing it, it was to tell the story of health, the truth of health, and the simple actions that could be taken that would restore health for people struggling with chronic diseases of any sort for my patients. Because we didn't have time in our office visits to get into the depth of explanation they were seeking, and I needed a resource for them. And there are a lot of great books, but so many of those books are... 300 pages on one specific topic. I read those books, you read those books, but most Mm -hmm. of my patients aren't reading those books. If my patient's a mechanic who rides a Harley on the weekend, he's probably spending his time learning more about how to repair his Harley and how to fix cars. And that's well and good, but he's still 40 pounds overweight, has diabetes and fatty liver and feels bad all the time. So he's not going to read the 300 page book on how to reset your metabolism and clear your liver and reverse diabetes that I give him. But he was open to the teaching, so you think they're closed, but they're not. They just, they you got to find the way to reach them that's accessible to them. And it turned out that if I wrote a book where I simplified all that teaching into its bare essentials and narrated it into a way that would help them feel better about themselves, not like I was wagging my finger at them about why can't you clean up their act? They would read that book they would apply the lessons and come back and ask questions and i saw how that was unfolding and so writing that book and making it available to my patients and now producing two articles a week on these topics a youtube channel and then also teaching i've done lecture series at our local recovery missions and our local food missions and helped our community begin to read change its orientation about food and the role it plays in people trying to recover from addiction and how important it is you get the idea and i don't mean this as a boastful list this is just what i do because my cause is health that's what i am made i'm what i'm put on earth to do and i've been given a certain amount of leverage and resource and privilege and education and i'm just you put me in front of a crowd or give me a day to work i'm going to go out and i'm going to talk about the truth of health to people
1: I love it. Absolutely love it. And did I hear correctly during the pre-show before we got started recording here, are you uh, putting that book into audio?
0: Yes, I am. The audible version will be out in a couple of months.
1: Absolutely. I love it. I absolutely love it. You are paying it forward in a huge way and I I thank you for it. So we're at the point where we're going to go through a little quick uh, pay it forward questions. You ready for that? Yes, I am. Excellent. Share one to three actionable steps that Men of Abundance can take today.
0: All right. And then since my cause is health, I'm going to focus this around health because to be an abundant person, you do have to guard your health. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that if something's happened to some individual, a lot of times people are like, you speak about this health optimization. So what about me? I've got this disease that I got diagnosed when I was younger. I was born with this or I had this traumatic accident. I'm like, I'm not talking about uh, I'm talking about health optimization rega- within the context that you're in. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that that's possible for anybody. So for anybody, and especially people who are trying to live an abundant life, I think it's essential that for high performers that they actually give themselves the rest and recovery. I already spoke about. I would absolutely recommend if they're not doing it, and it, you know that they find a way to spend thirty minutes minimum, an hour preferably, can be broken up in solitude, and in a space that's. Good for them to contemplate and reflect. That can be nature. That can be a a nice room in their home where they're very comfortable, but at least 30 minutes a day, if not an hour of solitude, no podcast, no book, and observing their thoughts and deeply reflecting and giving their brain a period of rest and consolidation uh, some of the high performers who see me as a private clients for more intensive health engagement i they they're great at working out they're great at getting up early they are great at eating healthy they are great at mindset and performance and the whole issue for them and i can measure it on objective data is they haven't learned how to rest and recover so honor that principle that's written into the code of our body of rest and recovery. And and, and so that's the most important. And with that goes the whole circadian rhythm. So if I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on this one area for men of abundance, think about the need of your body for sleep. Think about what You know, whatever your night need might be, seven, eight, nine hours of deep restorative sleep, and what can happen in your brain when you're getting that. And if you honor that principle, the remaining 16 to 15 hours of your day, you will have found a superpower within you that you didn't know existed. If you honor that, Um, I see so many high performers who say, I do fine on five hours, I do fine on six hours. They don't, they're losing potential because they have misunderstood how their body is designed, how their mind is designed, and they mistake the fact that they think they can feel good while doing that to themselves for what could actually be if they honor that design. So get your rest, honor circadian rhythm, and give yourself space to reflect and rest and recover.
1: So does that seven and eight hours, does that have to be consecutive?
0: It doesn't have to be, but it is preferable if it can be. So, an optimal is that you have, you know, you sleep at dark, and that you get consistent sleep, polyphasic sleep, there are a lot of studies done on polyphasic sleep. And that's where you begin to compartment compartmentalize your sleep. And especially for people working shifts and other factors that disrupt, and it can be almost as effective as deep sleep, provided you give yourself the windows where you capture that deep delta and REM sleep that your brain needs. And you can track that. Um, there are a lot of great devices, I think for sleep, my favorite one is called the Aura Ring. It's very popular right now. Uh, you know, it's out on a lot of the biohacking podcast, OURA, and it measures your heart rate variability, your heart rate, your body temperature, autonomic nervous system stress, and you can use it for all everything, and it's just a ring, and you can put it in airplane mode, so it's not jacking you up with the EMF at night, but you can use that as a device to track your sleep, and you can then look at your quantities and percentages of deep delta, REM, and light sleep. And if you are track, if you're putting together what the body needs in polyphasic form, then you'll be fine.
1: Excellent. What's the uh, optimal temperature?
0: Okay. So yeah, the optimal would be 65 degrees. Your spouse or partner may not agree with that. We're both,
1: (laughs) we're both hot sleepers. So at one point, we would have at one point, we had a room that we could get it down to 62 degrees Yeah, and now we have blackout blinds on our windows. Excellent. So, I mean, it's just black, 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 because I've heard studies actually where even if light was like touching your leg, mm-hmm. it literally, your body would sense the light. It does not even in your face. It was yeah. on like on a part like a pin light on the leg. It would wake you up.
0: Yeah, so you're pho- you have photosensitive receptors all over your body. Mm-hmm. And it really is fascinating when you think about it from ancestral development, genetic evolution. Uh, you know, we've spent all, most of our human history sleeping <laughs> in vulnerable positions. Mm-hmm. And when a person enters into deep sleep, the deep delta wave, we're the most that hel- we're the most vulnerable we could ever be. We mm-hmm. are we we're, we're catatonic, we're flaccid, and, and and if a predator came upon us uh, of any sort, we're dead. You know, and so your brain is designed, genetically designed, that if there's anything that could indicate threat, you will not go into deep delta sleep. You can go into REM sleep, you can get light sleep, and that's all helpful, but you'll not get deep delta sleep, which is when growth hormone and a lot of the real restoration of your body takes place. And so, yeah, a light flickering on your leg is a photophotonic signal that your cells will pick up and translate into your central nervous system. And in your central nervous system, somewhere deep in the primordial part, it says there's somebody approaching with a torch. I better I better start to wake up because we might have a fight on soon. Well,
1: I'll tell you what, I, I know that firsthand. I was in a homeless situation for about a little over a month and a half where I was sleeping out of my truck. Uh, and I now know why homeless people look so beat up. I was on constant alert and I had a full-time job at the same time. So I had to be alert during the day and I was the boss, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> it was an ju- interesting situation, but the bottom line is this. I really didn't sleep. I, I just, I really, it couldn't, I mean, the cops would come and kick you out of the area that you're mm-hmm. parked in and it's just, I, I just, it's a terrible situation.
0: Yeah. Your brain was probably sympathetically activated the whole time, even when you were trying to rest.
1: Completely. Yeah. completely, Absolutely. So what rituals, you've already mentioned quite a few rituals that you do, but what other rituals make the biggest impact in your life?
0: I believe morning routines are crucial, how you start mm-hmm. your day. I think that's a very, that's very common knowledge now, and that you have some structure to your morning routines, but then you vary them. The body loves variability, the mind loves variability, our genetics like variability, we're more com- we more comprehensively express the best version of ourselves, the more variety we expose ourselves to. And that includes forms of stress not protecting ourselves from all stress. So I think when you wake up, if you can wake up at the same time each day and start your day with, whether you wanna use breathing, meditation, prayer, gratitude exercises to get your mind right, you get out of bed and you do some whether it's a gentle yoga or a Qigong practice or something that, you know, gets the lymphatics and the circulation flowing and the body moving and the connective tissues released. And while you're doing it, you're focused on your breath and preferably, and people think I'm kind of crazy for this, but it doesn't, matter a four season town, but I have this routine. And i probably do it 300 days a year, but it doesn't matter summer, winter, fall, spring. I get out of bed and I walk outside in my backyard and it's private in my underwear that I slept in. And that's the first thing I do is I step onto the ground. while well, I push play. I push the on button on the coffee maker and then I go do this. And I, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to be outside standing on the ground doing a series of stretches and calisthenics and breathing exercises, looking up the moon or, you know, if it's in the winter uh, that's setting and just taking it in. And just, you know, it's just such an invigorating feeling. And if it's cold, it's cold. But then I know I'm going right back into a warm environment. Mm -hmm. If it's warm, it's beautiful. And you're in there in nature. But having routines like that to start your day and giving yourself space at the beginning of your day before you plunge into your intensive activities to give your mind and body the opportunity to start off in a great place and then a rhythm throughout your day of pausing, observing yourself, observing your breath, hydrating and stressing stretching. And that's, and that's just awareness. It's just mm-hmm. paying attention to yourself. There's a lot of others I could go into, but those are my favorite pieces.
1: Well, that's very relieving of, for me because I thought I was the only one that <laughs> I <laughs> literally, I kid you not, Gus, I literally get up, same thing. I get the coffee going and I step out my back door rather, and I love it when it's cold. I'm kind of, mm-hmm. you know, concerned because this morning it was like 54 degrees out there. Uh, cause Florida's just weird like that. It'll be, you know, but it's starting to get warm, but I love it. The colder, the better I yeah. love. And I'm in my underwear yes. <laughs> I using my sleeping shorts. <laughs> and I just stand out there and I look up at the stars. I do deep breathing and I don't do the calisthenics or anything at that point. Cause I get my kid ready and then I go to the fitness center mm-hmm. afterwards. But yeah, I just love that invigorating feeling of being outside and the just bitter, you know, just biting cold
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I know I'm going right back in. I've lived in that stuff when I was in Germany. I, I woke up with six inches of snow over me, mm-hmm. you know, for months on end. So that sucks, yeah. but I know I'm going back into the warm <laughs> house and a cu- warm cup of coffee. You know, yeah. so it was just a, it's a it's like my coffee. It wakes me up. I just mm-hmm. love it. I feel
0: like I, it kind of makes me think about what was it like 1000, 2005, the people that I'm connected to from an ancestral standpoint, that's probably how they started their day as they stepped out of their tent or whatever they lived in and looked mm-hmm. up at the sky and felt the earth and begin to breathe in the air and just taking it in. And I think that that's probably th- there's just some song that sings to my genetics that is good. Yeah.
1: Well, and that one part about specifically about stepping on the earth, the grounding, is, as it's called over the last couple of years, uh, is something that we miss because we're insulated from the earth. From the time we step out of the house, we have our shoes on, you have a rubber or, a, or some sort of sole separating mm-hmm. you and the earth, and few people get out and step on the earth barefoot. And it's it's extremely important. There's a lot more that we can go into with that and the science behind it. But some people actually sleep with a grounding rod, like connected to their bed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there's some science behind that as well. But really cool stuff. So, of course, we are definitely going to have you know your book linked up, uh, Authentic Health, in the show notes. But what other books? And you have mentioned a few already. But what one or two specific books that you'd recommend? that our abundant leaders could read that they would get into, not the medical journals and stuff that you and I I have read over the years, but uh, something that would be beneficial to them.
0: Well, two categories. So there's a lot of categories of books, but the two categories that I think of, especially when it's really trying to expand yourself, one are biographies. I find biographies Mm. fascinating because you're really reading about real people who clearly had the abundance principle going, whether they knew it, called it that or not. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of great biographies. One of my favorites is the trilogy that was done on Theodore Roosevelt. He's a pretty amazing uh, man uh, the- Theodore Rex, and there's, you know two others. and I, and it's a long, long journey, but I think it's well worth it. There's actually, it, it, you know if if the 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 history of the Christian church bothers you at all, then you may not like this one, but it's a fascinating character study. There's a book on Bonhoeffer uh dietrich bonhoeffer that was a minister in germany during the holocaust who ultimately got put to death because he felt like it was his moral duty to potentially try and assassinate hitler and when you read his story it's not as much of a spiritual story as a story of human character during one of the darkest times we know of in human history i think that is a phenomenal phenomenal read that was written by eric metaxas uh from then i like fiction Because I don't read enough fiction, even though I love great stories. I love stories that, uh, you know, inspire me and and make me feel great. You know, one of the series I can always go back to is the Tolkien series, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, because Mm -hmm. I can read that over and over again every five years and get completely swept up into the characters and the adventure and the challenges. A little hidden pearl that many people may have never come across, but it won a National Book of the Year award, is a book called Peace Like a River by a guy named Leif Inger. It's a short novel. And it's an amazing story. And if you're looking for a book about perseverance told, you know, through a a journey of a family uh, during a period of poverty, it is just a phenomenal. That one is a worthwhile read for anybody. I promise any reader who goes and gets Leif Ingers' Peace Like a River and reads it will say, I'm so glad I came across that story.
1: Wow. Yeah. Great, great recommendations. I appreciate that. My wife and I both love biographies. She's the fiction reader. She read every Harry Potter book <laughs> before one movie came out. Uh, same thing with Lord of every time Every time a movie comes out, I was like, yeah, I read that book. I'm like, I never even heard of the movie, let alone the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I bet she's got an expansive imagination.
1: I, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a vocabulary. English is her second language because she, she's from Panama, so Spanish oh. is her first language. So that's how she got her vocabulary. Is reading. Also, they spoke English in her in mm-hmm. her house back in Panama. Her grandparents made sure of that. So, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance?
0: Themselves. I mean, it seems. I mean, the what I what I and my, myself. Right, I'm not a guru and I'm, I'm still on this journey as well, and seeing my bouncing against my own limitations, my own imposed limitations. Uh, but I see it because I work as a physician. So I have all day long, today when we finish this, I'll go back to my clinic and see another you know, 16 or 18 people, all who will come in with 20 minute increments. Many of them will present problems that they feel they have no solution for. And I will present solutions because most of the health issues that I'm seeing people for are solvable themselves without pharmaceutical. And I, I care and I do not for my patients and I don't judge them. But I see over and over again, how they put their own obstacles in their way, they they refuse to be open to the solutions. A, a really wise mentor of mine who was kind of a hard ass. <laughs> it was uh, a guy and he would say, you people will, and he was an organizational development guy. And he'd say people always prefer a problem they can't solve to a solution they don't like. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, I'll stop there. Essentially, we, we place our own obstacles on us, our own limitations on ourselves, because we're choosing to stay where we are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting that you brought that up specifically, because just last night, usually Thursdays, but this week we did it on Wednesday, I meet with a group of veterans, uh, combat veterans. And what we're doing is we're trying to help uh, people that are in a situation of you know PTSD, and they just feel that they are they don't have control over their lives. Well, I just gave a class last night. I don't know if you can read that. I'm this trying. is a class that I gave. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll say it. Define the problem in solvable terms, and that's what that's what I was special. That's what we were, the topic of discussion last night was, helping these people do exactly what you do, and first define the problem in solvable terms because they don't see a solution for it. You got to help them see the solution for it, and it's when the light comes on. It's such an amazing feeling to see that light come on, and they're like, "Oh wow." I do have control over this or more control than I thought I did anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you, Gus?
0: Well, we've talked a lot about it. <laughs> yes, it's, we have. Yeah. Um, in negative terms, it means not not defaulting on yourself and not allowing those that you're connected to to de- default on themselves. And so that that basically means not allowing ourselves to become the inferior versions of us. And we know what that is, if we're digging in, we know what that is, and not allowing those that we're connected to, and that have invited us into their lives to be, to remain the inferior version of them. The positive side of that is to constantly pursue the highest version of ourselves and be open to the idea that it could be a lot more than what we could imagine. If we really get out of our own way, and we really and when we get out of our own way, we lose our ego. So we don't become self-consumed, you know, hey, I'm powerful. Look at me. I'm amazing. We stop thinking about ourselves altogether, uh, not altogether, but you get the idea, and mm-hmm. become completely focused uh, on what's out there, just disseminating our energy and to whatever's right in front of us in the most positive way possible. And when we're doing that, not only do we feel abundant, because something flows through us that's much greater than us, when we're doing that, we know it's not us. Absolutely, yeah. That, but then we also see it reflected back in the people that we're sharing that with, and they themselves are sharing theirs with us. And when you begin to really orient your life in that direction, look for that in every situation. It's amazing how you know the parts of this world and this universe we're not seeing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It truly, it truly is. And um, you know, it's just like guys. You know, medicine is a practice and there's new we're discovering new things every single day and every individual is different it's just like with your with yourself personally you can discover yourself every single day but i feel the best way to do that is to put yourself out there put yourself in different situations on a regular basis and communicate with different people people who don't look like you who don't think like you Communicate with them face-to-face or even on social media, if that's all you got, on a regular basis and grow from that. Be curious uh, around people and then give of yourself. You always have something to offer. Everybody I talk to has something to share with me. There was a time in my life where I thought I knew everything in my 20s and, <laughs> and I'll be 50 in May and now I know the one thing I know for sure is I don't know everything and I doubt that I ever will, but I'm I'm on the journey. Yeah,
0: wonderful. There's great wisdom there.
1: Yeah. So we are definitely going to have your, you know, your book linked up. You got a couple of websites uh, Vickery Family, uh, med.com, and healthshepherds.com. But on top of how else can other folks get a hold of you if they want to get more of you? What else do we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get from our conversation today? And we talked about quite a bit already.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um Dr the the best way to get to my information we've just re- redone this healthshepherds.com will still take you there but it's drgusvickery.com because I was just confusing people with this anonymous health <laughs> and I've just had to go ahead and say okay, people are looking for my name, that's fine. And there we have a lot of resources, blogs, articles I write, etc. Uh, etc. The, what I would tell individuals is that, uh, you know, don't one, take your health for granted, obviously, but two, even if you're somebody who is very mindful about your health, your diet, your stress, your sleep, don't settle for what the healthcare system's gonna give you. It, um, I, I'm not trying to criticize physicians here, but if you go in for a routine checkup in the vast majority of this country, and you see a well-intended well-trained, intelligent primary care physician, based on your insurance coverage, you are going to check a few boxes, and they're going to say, hey, your cholesterol looks okay, or it's a little high, or watch your blood pressure, and you're going to walk out the door, and you're going to think you're fine. That does not come close to telling you the truth about your body and how it's performing. There is so, I'm not a a fear monger at all, but there are so many exposures we have now and have had historically in terms of our foods, in terms of the environment, that could be negatively impacting our body in ways we can't detect. Until we become sick. So make sure you're Assessing yourself and if you can find a physician who for a reasonable price can give you more data about your health because that data is available. You can look at hormonal markers, growth hormone, key nutrient markers, omega-3 fatty acid levels, measurement of oxidative stress like oxidized LDL and markers of inflammation, lipid cycles, metabolic markers, insulin. If you can get to that kind of data about yourself periodically and be able to see how all systems are working and where the, your blind spots are so you can fill those in, you can You will absolutely have a body that performs better for you. So just don't take the health for granted. Look into a little more. Ask for more because you deserve more.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I absolutely agree with that. So we are going to close this up. Great conversation, man. I'm so excited. I love having these conversations first thing in the morning uh, and uh, just makes the rest of my day so freaking amazing. Uh, And just go out and live a life of abundance, Gus. Keep paying it forward because you're doing amazing things. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Wally. And thank you for putting this word out there. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm going to be listening to it regularly.
1: I appreciate that. All right, guys, as you know, anytime I can find a way to innovate something in my life and to greatly improve my mindset, my health, my strategies in in life hacking and business hacking and anything of that nature, I just totally geek out on this kind of stuff. And as I mentioned during the conversation, I absolutely love when a primary care provider takes a common sense approach to health and instead of fixing the problem, How about preventing the problem? Or if you've already got the problem, how about coming up with new solutions specifically for the individual to improve their health rather than just cover up the issue for years and years and years, compounding and causing other issues? I just think it's brilliant. So anyway, guys, go out, live your life of abundance, and make sure to pay it forward.